0: And we're live with our 135th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson, at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. (laughs) Hey,
1: everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Uh, This week is just me and Ken again. Um, We've got some guests that are coming up in the future, um, but... Yeah, there's been a lot that's been going on around the league over the last week or so. Um, So we do have a lot to talk about, or we've got a lot of articles. Um, If there is a topic that you would like us to cover today, or something specific, please jump into the Slack channels, or hit us up, or even the YouTube comment stream. Um, As yeah, like we don't necessarily have a set agenda today, so. Um, wanted to make sure to give people an opportunity to speak up and to say something Uh, from (laughs) Derek. Yeah. Uh, uh, Speaking of our uh, black hat class, right uh, there, we will be teaching our uh, next level hacking secure code edition or something like that. I can't remember exactly what we called it. I should know off the top of my head, but I don't, Um, it's a, it's a modified version of Seth and Ken's excellent adventures in code review and, um, teaches you how to do secure code review, right? The mechanics that Ken and I use on a daily basis. Um, I think we mentioned last week, right? Finding some really cool timing attacks all because of code review, right? And it's, it is difficult. It takes some patience. It takes some, um, yeah, it, it takes a framework, right? Uh, Ken and I have learned it over the years, and we apply it from a da- on a daily basis. So, anyway, if you're interested in that, please reach out. Uh, we are looking at doing some other just online or in person courses later in the summer, um, and we'll but we'll see how Black Hat. We just wanted to see what the response there is going to be before we schedule out the rest of the year, just based on COVID and people's travel and everything else. We'd much rather do it in person. It's a lot more fun than doing it online. Um, Ken anything else anything that, that I'm missing at this point Ooh, um,
0: I don't think so um, yeah I don't think so I don't think you're missing anything <laughs> no sorry I'm, I'm struggling <laughs> riding the struggle bus so um, no I think you're good I think you've okay. mentioned it all yeah
1: Um. yeah Let's see, well, I guess we can just dive into it um,
0: Derek, Derek did ask a question about a go s d l and and i if you don't mind, I do want to pick that one up because I'm actually in the midst of uh yeah dealing with that pro- like a project for that, so that just happens to be really on my radar right now okay. um, so your okay. question uh, is a
1: yeah what's that. Ahead. No, no. I was going to say describe what Go SDL is first, and then we can get into it. But yeah, the question was. Oh, yeah. Sorry. The question was, what do you think about
0: Go SDL from Slack, and that they'll have a new version out? So, um, Go SDL and uh, Listo from Seek, our good friend Julian Burton, who was on the uh, podcast, his his team, open sourced uh listo which is just like go sdl it's built similar um but basically this is a a self-service what it says on the project self-service entry point but let me you know for for security reviews and sdl so i can give you like a a a version of what we do and why we're trying to use something along this same line so um and then why this go sdl and listo maybe don't meet all of the requirements um so for us, we we do have a security review process, like if you're going to have a new app online or if you're going to have, there's certain features that when, are, when they're baked in for us that, you know, fall under certain requirements. And so they have to have a security review. And so there's like, you know, five or six different departments that end up weighing in on these uh, like open security review tickets, um, code review being one of them or assessment, dynamic review, whatever you want to call it, like basically web security stuff. We're just one department. There's many. Um, And the idea that we would like to go to, um, which GoSDL and Listo help with, is, you know, have the developers go through, answer, uh, you know, questions, give us information about, like, where they fall in the service catalog and ownership and then, like, what, you know there's each department will have their own set of questions. Like obviously web security might ask like, Hey, what framework are you using? What language, what libraries for CSERF, et cetera, et cetera. And then like at the end of that, um, maybe you realize, maybe we realize, Hey, uh, in an automated fashion, of course, you have 42 requirements that you have to implement for your app. So the idea is that, you know, there's collateral built for that. So that's, that's what we're looking for. Um, at like a very broad level, so go sdl and uh listo help you know cre- help help with that end of things i think they dump into into trello both products dump uh into meaning like any requirements would be dumped into like trello cards essentially um so i think it, i think it's overall pretty cool i you know, like i think both products are awesome and um you know they they've they're, it's open source. It's not going to be perfect, but it's open source. So you can modify things as you, as you see fit for us, our requirements are um, more comprehensive than what these tools allow for, uh, for n- a number of reasons. A lot of it has to do with other departments having different requirements and it needing to be something that fits the bill for all departments, not just like web security. So think, you know, risk and and compliance like GRC stuff and and whatnot. So for us there's like like I said we're exploring more we're exploring different options. These two didn't work for us. But again, I think they're perfectly great fine tools um just there's limitations. So that that's sort of my thought on there. Um namely some limitation would be you know we want with GitHub we we would we'd like to dog food our own product so we would like better integration um there with GitHub and then there's other things like um, you know, making the uh, I don't know, I actually don't know about the API. If there is an API, there might be with Go SDL, but an API that allows us to do some analytics and analysis, just analysis in general on, on the data. So, seeing like, for instance, one, one point of data that might be interesting is like, hey, with these requirements, did we get less or more bug bounty? Submissions. This is just an example, by the way. I'm just making stuff up. Let's say we like got bug bounty submissions in for um, something that had those requirements, and maybe it had less bug bounty submissions than apps that didn't have any requirements. Maybe we could figure out some causation there and correlation. But like again, that's just me making something up off the off off the top of my head for why we would need those analytics. There's there's other reasons um, that are that are more valid. So anyways, that's a long rant, but I guess I'm saying it's pretty good.
1: It's pretty yeah, good. yeah. I, I, I dig the self-service nature, right? Like I think back to, you know, um, one of the jobs where I was working for a company in the finance industry, right? And I remember having this huge, just huge spreadsheet that we would send to software architects, right? And have them go answer all of these questions. And, you know, it was just... Like the out of band nature of it, right, was was always the difficult portion, at least for the company that I was working with, right. Um, the yeah. fact that somebody on our team had to parse those spreadsheets, and they'd have to create the Jira tickets or the, you know, the Trello items, whatever, right. Um, and so, so it does close that loop a little bit. Um, it doesn't feel very, right, as of right now, it doesn't feel very opsy or whatever you want to call it, right. Um, because it is still this out-of-band process that has to happen to determine what those requirements look like. And we always ran into the problem that, uh, again, business rules, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, at least it, at the, the company that I was at. So even though the software architects would fill out this form, it didn't really matter what we put in there unless we threw a huge fit because they would just push it through, right? They'd push through whatever feature it was that the business wanted because that equated to actual money. And so like that, that constant battle that we had, you know, business and security versus usability versus uh, features, it, 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 it all came to a head because of the spreadsheet that was being sent around. Um, And so at some point it became, okay, how do we slim this down? How do we make it more appropriate? How do we set up guardrails so we just know that people are using the right framework in the right way? Um, I don't know. I I mean, so like are those some of the issues that you're running into into those with, Ken? Or is it just more of the the github style of things that you're looking for? Yeah, no, it's actually exactly that. So like we
0: we used to have a much longer list of questions. And so we parse that down. We being all five or six departments, whatever it is, I think it's five departments. We've parsed our questions down to the absolute minimum necessary questions. And then based off of their answers, we will follow up with additional questions. There's a couple problems though, like the SLA, like, so assume, assume you have a SLA, right. Of like three days to respond to one of these. Um, yeah, that's pretty hard to meet. And also, like, let's say, so, it's, so it's, let's just start there. It's dependent on a person to actually, like, pick up the new request and see that it's there and then, like, go through. And now you also have to, as a human being, go through and see, like, okay, based off of these answers, what are the next questions I should be asking, right? And then it just goes on from there. Like, for instance, we, um, maybe we'll open up a review because we decide this is something we should do a code review on. All right. Well then in there, we now have to go through and figure out like manually which requirements seem applicable to your app and then dump in like a markdown of checklist items and then have to walk through with the devs, you know, each I'm boring myself talking about it. I mean, this is like, it's terrible. Like it's, it's not fun and it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. And it's very human response intensive. So, what? Yep. like, honestly, I'm putting myself to sleep talking about it. So it's like, what, what would be more appropriate is based off of your answer. You know, like if you ever set up a Google form, you can set up like, okay, if they said no to this, don't even ask the next six questions. If they said yes to it, ask another question. If that a- a question's yes, then like, or depending on the answer, then do something else. Go to another flow, ask additional questions. And that's what we really need, essentially, is the same kind of logic. Now, there's a lot more requirements than just that, but that's essentially what it comes down to is like, we've got some initial questions, each department. We need to make it less person intensive, um, not make people wait a whole lot of time to get a response from each department. And then of course the follow-on questions and all that. Instead, just do it when you start that flow. By the time you're done, you have your action items. You have you know exactly what needs to happen. No human being had to respond um yeah. to get going. And that's where we're trying to go. It's truly self-surface, whereas it's very like very people intense. And it's just that's just yeah. Prone to errors, prone to laggy response times. So the products themselves are great and that can be built upon, um, you know, for us, I think we're just looking for something that's already kind of pre-packaged or built uh, in a specific yeah. way.
1: So, yeah. I, I mean, that, that's always difficult, right? Like the, the whole bespoke nature of um, those questionnaires, um, what it is that's required based on the company where you're actually at. So, I, I Yeah. And, and that's why I brought up the spreadsheet, right? And the, you know, kind of the, the back and forth nature of what goes on there, because it doesn't necessarily equate to, hey, I'm pushing products out quickly. Um, it's just, it's mm-hmm. a difficult problem to solve. Right. Um, so, so while I, I do see people using GoSDL and C and Listo, right, it's, it's typically in that, I don't know, I like, I, I mean, I, I'd be interested to hear where people actually use it, like in what phases of the SDLC and what their responses have been um, for rolling that out and how effective it, it is. Um, I mean, I know Slack is using it, right? So it'd be interesting to talk to those guys, but um, it's very, it was very custom built for Slack and their own development processes, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, if anybody is using it other than Slack folks please reach out and maybe we can get your take on it. That'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Love to hear it. I, I'm just not using it in production just because like I said, there's just other requirements than just our own, which I mean, I do, I think that's one thing to take away is like advocate for. If you're doing a self-service security review process, then you should probably think about any other departments that have. Cause like, for example, there's another tool that um, we had seen that was demoed to us and uh, it had other not just other departments, but it had things like around trade restrictions, you know, like for other countries. So like, what country are you operating in, you know? And then based off of that, if it's China, then it's got X, Y, Z requirements, right? Versus like maybe I'm making shit up, Belgium, you know, very different. So, um, you know, like it's it's something to think about. There's like other departments that might need to do this stuff. So,
1: yeah, yep. Yeah.
0: Cool. <laughs> CSV um, Postman API, <laughs> I like that. I like Larry's- uh, uh, Make it rain tickets. Yeah, make it rain tickets, I like it. I do think that GoSDL plugs into Jira, but yeah. yeah. That's the long and short of that. Yeah, I'd yeah. be curious to see if
1: anyone's using it in prod. Yeah, I, I mean, that integration is pretty, uh, I, I mean, I, I almost view it as a necessity nowadays. You've gotta be able to talk to wherever the issues, like the developer issues reside um in order to get stuff fixed. Right? You really want to affect security, you've got to be plugged into that, into that phase. I mean, that's one of the things that we always talk about from a like an external perspective as a third party. Um, we give we give teams the option for us to actually insert our findings directly into Jira, right? Or into a, you know, an issue tracker because it it makes life easier for them. You know, they're not getting a PDF report that then they have to parse out. We already understand that that's how developers but, you know, are working, right? That's their workflow. They're not going to want to look at a PDF. They're not going to want to open a PDF, even if it's attached to an issue, uh, to figure out what's going on, because it just takes them out of the flow. I, I mean, it's the same thing when we do code review, right? Anything that takes us out of the flow is bad. Um, and it just don't makes know. more work.
0: I it's fax not. developers. No, I fax <laughs> so them. You fax
1: them? I fax them <laughs> Send my them web
0: inspect. My web inspect, inspect, inspect results, usually around 3,000 to 4,000 pages long. Um, It takes a while, but you know, fax is how business gets done these days, Seth. All right. Get up with the times, man.
1: Get get up with the time. It's new facsimile tech. It's all the rage.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. I mean, nobody wants to read a, a fucking 56 page PDF. And by the way, we're, we're both like Seth's, Seth's exhausted. I've been sick all weekend. So we're in a, we're in a
1: mood today. So. (laughs) So just beware. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, but I think about it, right? Like I think about those reports that we wrote for that large retailer that we worked with, right? When we (laughs) started working together. (laughs) How much of that was just kind of based directly out of a, you know, a source. Okay. A source code analysis tool, like a, you know, a static analysis tool. And I'm like, I, I I can't figure out how useful those actually were because we'd get the same app back a year later, and they had, they'd have solved like two of the five thousand different endpoints that we had listed in a, in a finding. And yeah. yeah, so we we have done that right, like learn from our mistakes. It, it's it's not super useful to send out a you know a thousand page report, especially when you want a developer to do something. Yeah. Nobody wants, nobody
0: has time for that stuff. So no, I agree. I like plopping it right into the which I like, yeah, again, so I think go SDL does that with cheer as well. So that's the more, I mean, the more things you plug into the better. And I'm sure there's like, if they've set up go, I actually don't know, but if they set it up in a modular way, I'm, I'm assuming there's like, you can build connectors for other things besides those two. So I would assume I don't, I don't know. Like I said, I, we dug in a little bit. It was a while ago. I would be curious
1: about the new version though. Um, well, I'm not seeing a new version yet, right? Like, cause it's all still that same PHP code that was written two to three years ago. Right. Um, that's yeah. up on their GitHub instance anyway, unless I'm looking in the wrong spot, but I'm pretty sure this is the, this is the host for it. Yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, it does. I mean, it talks directly to Jira. I'd be interested to see what they're doing with it. Um you and I are both not fans of PHP. So I like, that's all. And honestly, that's, that was a huge, that was a huge consideration for people when I've talked to them about go SDL and using it. Right. Is, Oh, what, what technology is, Oh, it's PHP. Hmm. Right. Like, well, I don't know. Right. It, and it, it, it's no knock on Slack. Right. It's just, there, there is a perception that PHP is, less than, I guess, right? Like I, I know I know it can be done securely, but just the dangers that go along with it are hard. Yes, yes, Larry, PHP does, it needs to die, but it's not going anywhere, right? I, I can't figure out how, why the interpreted, right? We've seen what classic ASP is gone, um, cold fusion, right? Like so these languages that were used that like PHP was contemporaries with have disappeared. And yet PHP has hung on. I'm not sure if that's just because of WordPress or um, the open source nature of PHP that they, ha- they have done, like objective, you know, I don't know. Right. Like,
0: I don't know. Either. Object, you know is it object
1: oriented programming or what?
0: Is it what? just WordPress propping up PHP at this point? <laughs> I
1: don't it's know. a vicious cycle, right? <laughs> Between the two of them. <laughs> why uh, use php hold on i'm gonna google that
0: <laughs> yeah but i feel like that every time someone's like uh because just because i'm i've done so much work in the ruby space people seem to people think, ask the same question the, the three people that know me tend to think that you know <laughs> like that's that's like my it's my bread and butter <laughs> or something like that's what i just all i do is ruby so you know i get the same kind of crap for Using and I'm like, I don't even, I haven't written in Ruby in a while. Like, I don't even know, but yeah, I mean, I think it well, I mean, GitHub's monolith is still in, in Ruby, so there's probably that too. But uh, yeah, I get the same amount of like hate for Ru- or not hate, but like, why are you using that for Ruby as PHP these days? I feel like it's people are treating it more like that as well, which probably segues into our bundler for yeah. our part two of the bundler drama saga dependency confusion stuff
1: yeah well and i, I mean honestly this this goes to i, I and i know that languages like come and go in popularity right like that's you and i've been around long enough we understand that we see that happen all the time i mean it, i think it was it was what nathan hamill that first like started giving you crap about uh, about ruby um it, even though, like, if we go back 11 right, years ago, 12 <laughs> years ago, <laughs> Yeah, I know because, well, and it was because we like we started to use it for what the web exploitation framework, right? Yeah, because it was because that's yeah, what, p- uh, what's Metasploit. the fuck it was, yeah, was using for Metasploit, right? And so, we're like, oh, yeah, there's some modern features, the meta programming is pretty cool, it makes it really easy for plugins and everything else, yeah. Um, so people it, realize that. Yeah, the Metasploit was originally Pearl
0: too. I don't know if people realize that there was a rewrite to Ruby. It used to be all like Pearl, Pearl six.
1: Yeah, Pearl six is out. Come on. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and then they went the Ruby route, and and like I don't know. Also, if people realize the reason they well, there's a lot of reasons you could 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 go the Ruby route, but like the reason for the Ruby route, it was the whole idea of at runtime it being able to just like. Basically, load modules dynamically. Being able to, because it ha- because it has the ability to write code on the fly, it's pretty useful when you're dealing, especially with like a CLI prompt where you're um, you're doing things like entering in a command and hitting tab, right? Something as simple as that. That's actually not that seems simple. Like I put in you like set payload and then some options, right? And you could do S E tab and or S tab and it'll like you know autocomplete and all that stuff. People don't even realize like how difficult that act. Wow, what is that gif? <laughs> that is distracting <laughs> on our Slack. Sorry. Uh anyways, uh that's hilarious. Uh I'm gonna try to unsee that. Um jab of the hut gif. Uh where was I? Yeah, no. So it's actually pretty hard to do autocomplete. Uh, or not hard, but it's you know there's there's little things you you don't really have to think about if you're just the end user. But it's actually pretty hard. Like when you, for instance, you've got like a modules folder and all, you've got all these different named files, and they're all inheriting from the same class. Um, at the end of the day, they're all inheriting from the same base class. You know the way the way you do that is is um, You know, you can plop a file on there and reload and it all happens without really like um, having to, you know, stop the program, make changes, recompile the program, and then run it again, right? You can do all of this dynamically. You take a little bit of a hit for sure on memory, but that's one of the beautiful parts of Ruby is that it's just very flexible and dynamic at runtime. There's a far more succinct version of this I could talk about, but you and I know like I tried this in Python with a weird owl and it worked. There's some level of metaprogramming with Python. But again, if I was to try to do this with like a Golang app, I mean, it wouldn't work the same way. It just, those are again, like a runtime interpreted language versus like a compiled language is night and day in terms of building a tool like that. So anyways, that's the, that's the reason they went with it. That's the reason we decided to follow the same pattern for Ruby.
1: Yeah. But we, yeah, we
0: got a lot of shit for it. So
1: yeah, I mean, it was from fun. friends, from, from friends. friends, right? Yeah. And it wasn't an, like it was definitely a learning experience, right? And an interesting project to work work on. Um, and I don't think people give enough credit to that. Like the, the open source projects is that don't take off, um, like I, I mean, GitHub's littered with them, right? We all know that. Uh, you know, how many of the projects that are out there, you know, have less than what five stars or whatever. That are experiments by whoever, Um, but a lot of that is—I don't know—like it it ends up um, guiding your career, right? Like the stuff that you figure out in those when you try and solve those hard problems and figure out, oh, this is why someone would would want to choose Ruby over another language, or oh, maybe this is why you know they went with PHP instead of Ruby or something else. I don't know. Yeah. And yeah, so I mean, it, it would be interesting to talk to the Slack guys on why they chose PHP for that. If it was just like ease of use, whoever started it or what. So yeah. What are you going to say?
0: No, there are definitely times where, you know, like I'll give you a perfect example. There was this Bubby connector, you know, back in the day where Ruby could be used to write. <laughs> um, g- Essentially it's J um yeah. Java Ruby. um but anyways like it was it was essentially a connector where ruby code could be used in the jvm converted to the like java jvm byte code and um all that means is that i could write pretty much ruby stuff and ruby syntax but importing like java libraries and doing things that connect and allow me to basically control burp through ruby scripts <clears throat> so there was a lot of work done it was really cool conceptually at the end of the day though Uh, I found it was much easier to just write Java code and just write Java uh, Burp plugins um, in Java. And I think I have some videos still out there from when we used to do set casts um, of like doing Python, Ruby and Java uh, extensions for Burp. But again, like, yeah, there's definitely times where it it just doesn't make sense. And I think that's one of those times where writing Java, as much as I'm not a fan of writing a lot of Java, was a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, you won't hear me say that very often about Java. That's a lot easier, but that was one of those times where it definitely was. So,
1: well, it's, I mean, it's all the target, right? Like, it's it's all the the task that you're trying to accomplish. You know, how fast mm-hmm. can you get something out? Can you get it done, built in a secure manner? And you know, if I don't know, the more com- complexity that you introduce into some of those functions, into some of those some of those programs the more likelihood there is for failure, for security issues, for, you know, the list goes on and on. So at some point it it just makes more sense to dive in just like the original developers did. Um, And I mean, that's another point that we always bring up in the course, right? Is, hey, you're looking at code that was developed using Visual Studio. Use Visual Studio to look at that code, right? You're going to make your life. it, it, It may be that you prefer, you know, Eclipse, or you may prefer a, a different IDE, um, but you're just making life harder for yourself.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that is one thing that separates us from developers as code reviewers. Is that, yeah, you're right. Like the, as a developer, you're usually working in what I mean. I'm giving general stuff here. There's, there's, there's certainly there's contractors who. They work on whatever their client's requirements are, but there's more, more often than not, the developers that I, I come across, they're, they're building in the way they feel like building with the language and the tools they feel like building. Whereas we have to be far more uh, flexible and change our workflow depending on what we're looking at. If we're doing our job really well, then that's, yeah, you're right. I, I didn't really think about that before, but you're right. Like that is something that really separates us.
1: And, yeah. Yeah. And, and I I mean that's the other thing, right? Like being a polyglot, um, right, being able to write programs in multi multiple languages, most of the developers that you talk to stick pretty close to two or three different languages that they become like experts in their craft in, which I totally get because that's you know, you spend so much time building something in, you know, C sharp dot net and like you're gonna stick pretty close to that original base that you have, because those are the expertise. Those are what people pay you to actually use. Um, But the way that we come into it and having to review all of these different code bases, um, I end up thinking a lot more in um, abstract terms about code than I do about the nuances themselves. And I have to dive into documentation so often to figure out where problems exist. Uh, because I, I, I'm i not an expert on low levels of C sharp, right? Like, or some of the libraries that are out there, the latest versions. Um, and so I, I do feel like, and I, I don't know if you're the same way, but I, I feel like I spend an inordinate amount of time figuring out how languages implement the same problem or implement the same function. Um, yeah. That
0: definitely does happen where sometimes it's like a stupid iterator on like an array and you're like, oh crap, I remember this kind of in this language, but like, what's the, and you know, like the, the, I'm saying iteration, but there's so many things you can do to optimize an iteration in terms of slicing out certain parts that you want, uh, how you want to order those items, what you want to do with them. Do you want to build a new like hash or array, you know, like for instance, in Ruby, there's like inject and select on arrays. And those are really helpful yep. operators. There's not a, there's maybe not like a great analogous function in other, some other languages. So it's like, um, it does take a long time. I've gotten asked. Uh, this is funny. Cause I've gotten asked this question a bunch, um, which is okay. I want to learn, you know, like I'm, I'm learning AppSec. I want to get better. Like how, how do I, do I go for, um, breadth or do i go for depth so meaning do i do i want to learn a little bit about each language kind of what you're talking about or do i want to go in deep dive for me i found that by deep diving into one language first and learning all the intricacies and all the little options and writing a bunch of code and doing it in that one language first was like the for me the best way because then it was very easy it's like um Yeah, I mean, it's like learning any language, right? Once you've, you've, especially as an adult, learned a second language, then it's easier to start to pick up like how to learn other languages. And I feel like with coding, that's really the case for me. When I learned really in-depth one language, it was easy to pick up the syntax and the little changes and little things that change between languages. But Mm -hmm. if you understand the underlying concepts really, really well, and it's just so easy to pick up like additional languages and yeah, it might take yeah. you a while. Like you said, you might have to look at the documentation, but you, you get the idea of it. You understand the data structures and all that like code structure.
1: Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I always go back to this, right. Cause um, when I, I mean, when, when I, and, and I know you don't have a CS degree, right. But like when I did my computer science courses, um, at the time I was already working right like as an administrator and programmer um, and it was it was one of those things where I was like, I don't know if I'm really ever gonna use this right uh, you know I'm learning about different algorithms, red black trees, and um, like the security courses that they had were ridiculous, right but um, like all the different algorithms, data structures and everything else. but what I found over the course of the career of my career is, being able to speak that language and understand what developers are talking about I mean, and, and I know you've done this through different ways right you've built code you've you know you've taken the time to learn these things in a different way um, but being able to understand what the developers are talking about and parsing what's going on in different code pushes and everything else is extremely useful even if it, it, it's not security related um, if okay. only one of them, and you can you can talk you know talk the talk you may not be able to implement a red black tree right but if you understand the basic concepts of that it's going to help you know later in life just to be able to relate what a developer's going through so that they're comfortable coming to you when they do have a security problem that needs that needs addressing
0: oh yeah yeah for sure yeah no totally yeah i'm um I've sat at the table with many developers at different development conferences. I feel like that's been the kind of the fun way to connect, like you said, um, and to learn more because like, I do think you should be a programming centric person. If you're doing code reviews, obviously <laughs> it's helpful to go to developer conferences and learn. And I've sat it m- many times at the table and, you know, just sort of like felt like, um, At least I understood what was going on, right? If I didn't have that background, uh, it'd be pretty, pretty. And that's the weird thing is I've definitely come across professionals in our, in AppSec space who have never really learned any of this. That, you know, they, Mm -hmm. they stayed on the dynamic side purposefully. Um, I don't, I've never really asked why, um, but I have definitely met AppSec professionals who are not, Heavy code reviewers, you know. Um they run well, dashed tools and yeah. a lot of dynamic stuff.
1: Yeah.
0: <clears throat> and I, I feel that's limiting because you don't really understand the other side of it, but and I don't know how your remediation can be super specific, but yeah. it, you know, yeah. for some people that works.
1: Well, and I I and I think it's I I mean there's there's such a lack of talent in the industry that I I get why that why that can be the case, right? Um, there's, there's not a lot of security people out there. Uh, I mean, th- this came up again, right. And you remember a few years ago that, you know, the army is like, Oh, we're going to build our cyber division or whatever they called it. Right. We're going to hire, mm-hmm. you know, 30,000, you know, cybersecurity professionals. And all of us are looking around going, hey, uh, you realize that, <laughs> you realize that the industry has like, you know, Maybe you know, you know what I mean. Like it's extremely small, and especially as you get into these different niches, like there's just not that many people out there. You may be able to train up a, a whole bunch, right? Because you've got army recruits. But but I look at that that most recent, and, and this di- this wasn't even on our list to talk about, but I guess we're going to go there. So that yeah. uh, recent like cybersecurity um, push from the White House, right? And this is the same issue that they're going to run into is yeah, it's great that you want to do all this stuff, but the industry is small. There's a lack of professionals that are out there. When we push people in too quickly, that's when mistakes are made. Uh, and this all goes back to the pipeline issue, which is its own bag of crap that went on with that, right But um, the i like I just don't i I don't see the education possibilities that are out there. yes, there's more there's more security programs. Um, that exists nowadays, right? People can get into the industry through multiple different forms, uh, but we've also specialized in 5,000 different uh, different segments, right? You've got people that are really good at ICS systems or IoT. You've got application security, network security, right? Like it's, it's not like everyone that comes into the industry is going to be a generalist that can go and solve a problem, you know, as the general public sees it. And so... If anything, I think the job, like the demand for jobs, is still outpacing the the people coming into the field. Right? I, I, unless you see it differently, I, I mean, you're you're hiring people <laughs> no. more than I am, so you you understand what that's like.
0: We're doubling the headcount at GitHub security department, and I can, and I've been a part of that effort pretty heavily it's why you don't you haven't heard much from me during the day for the last month and a half um is that i've i've spent a lot of time trying to on uh find folks um and been on those interviews and it's been very very um yeah it's hard to find that talent but i would say this is the other kind of funny thing about on that on that note is that you know we've heard um and I remember at a Nova hackers meetup there was this whole like debate about there was, there was uh, someone who was wanting to be mentored and they're like, yeah, I don't, you know, I've, I asked for mentorship and I, I need mentorship. And my mentor was like, um, I was there with Rob and Chris. Actually. I remember all this. It was interesting okay. because they were like, Oh, I want a mentor. And, you know, but my mentor just said, go read this book first, you know? And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with that? And I was like, we were all like, did you read the book? They're like, well, no, like I want more direction. And I was like, But did you read the fucking book first, like before you wanted more direction? So there was this whole debate back and forth about mentor expectations versus mentorship expectations and all that stuff. Right. Okay. So fast forward, I've definitely had more than a handful of people come to me, you know, especially since I started at GitHub to say, this sounds like a really great field. I'm interested, you know, I'm already, I'm in college, I'm, you know, doing whatever, like I'm already in the IT field. I want to go this direction. I have a security minded sort of, look outlook i'm like cool that's great i will totally work with you i am more than happy to without fail man every single person that i gave resources to i gave them a road map they went cr- crickets all of them because the roadmap map nope. is hard yeah and i was like it's gonna take a few years yeah for sure this is all the things you have to learn if you really want to get good at this this is like where you start and here's I, i've done this for like i said more than a handful of people. And every time it's the same thing, it's all fired up and then it's crickets. And I feel like there is this, you know, immediate satisfaction and gratification that folks are looking for. Um, I think also people see like cybersecurity, it's like this hot thing, it's on all the ads on the radio and all of this stuff. And then you you break it down and you're like, oh, yeah, it's actually a lot of... (laughs) A lot of fundamental knowledge that you first have to have before you get to the cool part, before you get to the hacking part. Um, yeah, and so for whatever reason, like I said, that's that's been something. It's been hard to find people with the follow through to to, to to grind on those sort of uh, um, topics. So, yeah,
1: I yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, I get it, right? Like it's it's a difficult proposition to actually get in to the level that we need to be at, um, to actually help, help out. Right. It, it's one thing to go and do bug bounties, you know, to find little things. And, and, and like, I I'm super glad that there's that resource available nowadays to push people towards. Um, but it's also like, I, I mean, you only get paid for the stuff that you find. Um, and, it, it almost rewards uh, you know, this, this narrow focus on single classes of bugs that you can find mm-hmm. across, you know, across multiple places to maximize your income, right? as opposed to, hey, you know, you're going to go and you're going to learn about a whole software, you know, uh, the whole SDLC from an application security perspective, how software is implemented, where the flaws exist, um, and why they why that why they are actually there? It doesn't mean that the bug bounty researchers don't go to that level at times, but I mean honestly, right? Like in your GitHub program, you know, what is the number of top performers that or top researchers that you have that find those super cool bugs? It's it's a handful, isn't it? I wouldn't say it's mm-hmm. hundreds.
0: No, it's a handful.
1: Yeah, yeah I would agree. And, and and I mean the same thing is going to be for people that are getting into the industry um so it's yeah i i I mean it's a difficult a difficult prospect and yeah i don't know man i just we keep putting resources out there like that that's just it trying to get you know keep beginners um and and new people to the industry giving them the resources to be able to learn and to keep improving themselves you know the 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 people that are here and that we talk to on a daily basis, they're the ones that are constantly, you know, constantly churning, looking at new data, new vulnerabilities, exploits, new approaches. They're pulling in stuff from research, from bug bounty, from developers. Um, But getting into the industry, that can be overwhelming. right? Um, Mm -hmm. And and this is what we always. Well, I, I mean, this is what we've been talking about, right, is there are. There's so many people trying to get into the industry. You've got this new policy from the White House. You've got, you know, every company is looking for application or network security people. Um, if you have a new approach to explaining an old vulnerability, go ahead and put it out because it could speak to someone and light a fire under them because your understanding of it is going to be different than somebody else's. The diversity in the, in the industry is what makes it strong. Um, if we only have OWASP that defines all the vulnerabilities, um, we're missing out on everything that could come in from other sources, right?
0: Yep. Did you yeah. want to talk about what you're thinking about putting together as a resource, speaking of resources and all of this? Uh, uh, um for- or you want to hold yes, off? Yes, let's let's, hold,
1: let's let's hold off on that until we have at least you know a little bit that we've put together. Okay. Um, Ken, I, Ken and I are you know are looking to turn Absolute AppSec into more of a resource as well, right? Not just the podcast, um, but you know, give you
0: useful things.
1: Yeah, give you useful things that you can use, a place that you can point at to reference vulnerabilities and other things. So, um, uh, the first kind of big release that we have is in the works right now. Um, and yeah, but once we do push it out, then what, you know, I'd rather have something than, you know, turn it into vaporware. Right?
0: Yeah. Well, just, yeah, we'll, we won't tease it out then. Yeah. Did you want to, uh, good. did you want to, uh, mention,
1: uh, our friends at Kenna security at cool news? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those of you that didn't hear, um, Jen, uh, Kenna. And our friend, uh, Jerry Gamblin, who's been on the podcast, you know, multiple times, um, they were acquired, or they, they're there's the intent has been put out that Cisco is acquiring Kenna. Um, and Kenna Security is, a, it's an interesting platform, right? Like, it's, congratulations to Jerry. Yes, congratulations. Um, you know, for, for being a part of that. Uh, we met Jerry years ago when he was working at Carfax, of all places. But since then, he's bounced around a little bit. And he's very... Active on Twitter, right? Uh, he's a good resource if you want to follow somebody that's posting security news and opinion. Follow Jerry. Jerry, um, Jerry
0: is just constantly doing stuff. Period. Yeah. Like I don't think there's Kevin Cody and Jerry Gamblin might be the two. They they make me feel lazy.
1: Put it. That yeah. Way. <laughs> Here I'll I'll post this uh, Jerry. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's just Jerry Gamblin, isn't it? On Twitter, J Gamblin, Jay Gamblin, Jay Gamblin. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, like, Kenna is an interesting, an interesting solve, right? Um, if you haven't looked at them before, you should. You should go look and see what they're doing. I mean, they're basically taking vulnerabilities and then classifying them for uh, work based on how they're used and what exploits actually work against them. I mean, at this point, we have so many CVEs that are released on a daily basis that it's very difficult to to know what what pri- what should be a priority and what shouldn't. Mm. I mean, if you've ever helped someone even just look at like their uh, third-party code that they're pulling in and the vulnerabilities that exist there from sneak or dependency check or depend-a-bot, right? Like what should actually be solved and um, what isn't really an issue... It's a difficult problem to solve. It's a difficult to prioritize and, and not just say as a security person, oh, just go fix everything, go upgrade everything. Um, and and that's exactly, they, they identified it as a problem, came up with a platform that does prioritization based on, you know, uh, like exploitation factors, based on use, right? Like specific functions. Um, if they get to know your environment, they can tell you whether or not a vulnerability that gets released for, you know, jQuery affects your site or not. Uh, which is incredibly important because, I, I mean, from a business perspective, it means, all right, is this a drop everything on the floor and go fix it? Or is this something that could be put in the backlog and we just catch it the next time we do, you know, jQuery upgrades? Um, so anyway, They got acquired. Um, Cisco again—they uh, they're kind of the Borg out there. They acquire these security companies and then spin them into the the different products that they have. But it should be a good run for those guys as they integrate over there.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I'm I'm somebody as somebody who's gone through an acquisition that went really smooth, and I really enjoyed the results of that acquisition. Totally, oh, like thumbs up for them. So. I mean it wasn't Cisco obviously that acquired us, but a similar type Borg deal. So that's <laughs> yeah. really cool. I'm very excited for them. That's really awesome. And yeah, hope y'all have a have a good time there. It should be cool. Um man, we're getting towards the end here and I feel like Kaka Doo-doo. So I'm wondering if uh what what else you want to chat about if anyone has anything else they want us to. Like yeah, my sinuses I, are flaring up real bad. So,
1: yeah, I I did want to mention that um bundler still vulnerable to dependency confusion oh, right. stuff, Ooh, right? I forgot that one? Yeah. And I, I mean well, part of the reason this interesting. one Interesting. Yeah. Part of the reason this popped up as well, um like if you look in that uh, White House order or whatever it is, they talk about enhancing software supply chain security, right? Like that's one of the things that's actually in the order is, right. you know, How do you, how do we make sure that the software supply chain is secure? Um, And then it comes out that like the tools that we use to keep it secure. Yeah. You know, they're not necessarily secure in and of themselves. So good luck with that. Right. Like, yeah, apparently we're just security nihilists today. Right. You can't get into the industry. You can't solve anything. That's, you know, channeling my inner Stefan. (laughs) No. Yeah. Like, um,
0: I'm trying to pull up that I had that what's weird. Oh, I had it pulled up on another computer. Cause I was like, why do I not have that article in front of me? Yeah. But like, um, is what's interesting is just the fact that like their documentation and let me pull it up and like show real quick. Um, okay. yeah. Just cause it's like, this is funny. It's not funny. Like it's just interesting. So, um, all right, let me share this screen. Uh, if I can figure out how to use a computer today. Boom. All right. It should be visible in a second here. All right. Yep. So, yeah. So what's just pretty interesting is like um, they show. So according to the documentation, if you, you know, let's say Acme Logger was pulled in from um, your private package source here. So let me blow that up. So this is that we talked about this before. This like little uh, statement here declares that from this website, you can, you know, install whatever gems, right? Whatever gems are in this loop here. So, like, uh, you got Acme Logger. So, in theory, if it's Acme Logger, it's going to pull an Acme Util, which is meaning Acme Logger has, you know, a dependency. It's another package it depends upon, which is Acme Util. But according to the documentation, this Acme Util will be, they'll search for this package from only this source. And not from, say, the greater rubygems.org. What they found was this researcher found that, like, uh, however, if Acme Util 1.0, point, okay, so like 1.0.0 lives at the private packages and 1.0.1, you know, library by the same name. Uh, it exists on rubygems.org. The newer version will be the one that it pulls in from rubygems.org instead of your private packages. So now uh, Bundler is being updated so that you know any dependencies that that private package uh, relies upon are only being pulled from this server and not from any of your other sources. So that's the that's in a nutshell what that um what that's all about. So uh, let me see. If I stop sharing here. Does that adequately describe it? I feel kind of dumb today. So hopefully that. No,
1: no, it does. Right. Like, and yeah, it's, I I mean, it makes sense. You look at it from a code perspective and you're like, oh, I, you know, we we see these versions that are out there. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. Right. Like, I I mean, it's more something that you've got to be aware of at this point. so you know what versions you're running, you probably want to lock to specific versions that are in those repositories as you yeah as you can, and I think that's what it says in that in that article as well yeah um, but yeah. unless you're aware of it, it just makes sense that it's going to pull until it finds right and it's <laughs> going to pull the latest version because you didn't you didn't specify
0: yeah, I mean, I didn't even mention that you're right like if i you saw the line where it says gem Acne logger so if you if you can actually add an additional operator with like a squiggly line and an arrow and um, put a version in it. And they'll say like, okay, cool. This is the version you're locked to um, in the gem file. The reason I say that is like, there's a, there is a gem file that that also you can it's sort of like a frozen, all of these packages are at this version. That's what the dot lock, just like a package dot lock for a node. But anyways, you're right. You can point to the exact uh, version too. And that would be, um, helpful. So,
1: yeah,
0: I don't know if you need to do that for. I guess yeah, I guess you'd be doing that for the dependency as well. It sounds yeah. like the dependency of the dependency. If you, need. Yeah. I don't know, that seems like not a great solution. So just I guess upgrade to bundler will <laughs> be
1: the better. option. <laughs> or well, up- yeah, and bundler. that's yeah. yeah. Well, but that's just it. Uh, the, those implicit dependencies are the ones that the that are the problem, right? Like that's one of the options is what they're saying there is. Oh, explicitly provide source for each dependency, right? Like, so actually do a source list gem for that dependency because then it won't go out to rubygems.org to pull anything or, right, like publicly register all your gems, but the second that you forget one, right? Yeah, I don't know. I think there's going to be a lot more research on dependency confusion and package managers. I I mean, there's been a lot of focus the last, like this year, um but it's going it, it's going to be an area of research for a long time um, because of uh, because of the nature of all these these platforms that we have um and it also like it also it makes me wonder right we've started talking about PHP and go sdl um, and it, you know i start to think about php dependencies as well uh, Don't do because that. That's, that that that's another mess and I, like there hasn't been as much focus because I don't think there's that same sort of centralized repository or it's not as mature or it's not as yeah, whatever. Right. Like it's PHP. So anyway, um, good luck solving that I guess is the, is the main, you know, the main takeaway there is it's, it's not going to be easy. Cool. But I do think that's about everything that we've got for today. Ken, I know you're, you're filling it. So Um, We can go ahead and call it for today. And um, yeah, we will be surprised. I got this far, man. (laughs) Yeah, We we will be back next week. Right. Um, Please jump into our Slack channel. If you've got questions or you want to keep the conversation going, Ken and I are there and otherwise we'll just see everybody online. Hit us up on Twitter and Slack.
0: Yeah, actually, also, if there are any requests for guests, I'm working on scheduling more guests for the summer. So um I have my list. But if you have anyone you'd really like to see come on the show again, or again, show the show period, uh, the podcast, let me know, let Seth know, you can do that through the Slack DMs, or you can do absolute appsec at gmail.com. Again, that's absolute at gmail.com if you have any guests that you'd like to see. So Yeah. That's all I have. Cool.
1: All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining. We'll see everybody online and next week. Thank you so much. We appreciate you listening.